He's a good God, isn't he? He's so wonderful. That's what, I just, that song, I was just singing it on the way here while I was sitting in the queue on the 127. I'm not quite sure why there was a queue on the 127, but there was. <laughs> and uh, he, he's such a wonderful God. One of, the, one of the most amazing things about Paul was his passion for the gospel. He had a passion for the gospel. He says in Romans 1, 16, it's the power of God for salvation. The Jews first and into us lot. It's incredible, isn't it? It is the, it's the, the dumanos, the power of God to change people's lives. The gospel is. It really is fantastic. He says, I, I preach Christ crucified. That's the only thing I do. People preach all sorts of things. They, they have a message of grace and they just preach grace. They have a message of faith and they just preach about faith. They have a message, all sorts of different messages. But Paul said, I preach Christ crucified. There are people who preach just about the kingdom of God. There's people who preach about all sorts of different things. And Paul said, I just preach Christ crucified. Now why did he say that? He said, I know nothing but Christ crucified, nothing else. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? He said, he said in, that's in 1 Corinthians 2 too. I know nothing but Christ crucified. You see, Isn't it? that is an incredible thing. Because we want to talk about all sorts of other stuff. But Paul was stuck. He had a record that was stuck. Now you don't have records anymore. They used to stick, remember they used to then they go on. And they suddenly go round and round on the same bit because it was, you'd got a scratch on your record. It doesn't happen with CDs. They just sort of go or don't go, or they stutter or something, don't they? Or, and I don't know what happens to MP3s. But, but Paul had a, a stuck record. His record was the gospel, the power of the gospel. And here we are. His gospel was received straight from Jesus himself. So he got born again on the road to Damascus. We all know the story. And then he started talking about Jesus. He went out and started preaching. But then he thought, I better go and find out what's happened to me. Because he knew something had happened. And he went and found the great and precious promises in the Old Testament. He went and spent three years away, didn't he? To go and find out from God what had happened to him. Something so dramatic had happened to him, he had to find it. And he found it in the Old Testament. Now, we've been looking at that in our Bible studies, we've been doing um, the new man, and we've gone through all the old, a lot of the old, not all, all of it, but quite a lot of the Old Testament, talking about this new life we have in Christ. And Paul discovered, he talks about great and precious promises, whereby we may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, listen to that verse. That's amazing. That's Peter. That's not Paul. They're speaking from the same book, the same spirit, saying the same message. Same with John. Incredible. Saying the same thing. All these different people saying the same thing about the gospel of Christ. His, his passion was for the gospel. And he said, if anybody preaches anything else but what I preach, even if I come back and say it differently, let him be a curse. Don't listen to me. If an, even if an angel comes along, don't listen to anybody else but what I've said already. He was so sure of what he had been given was the true gospel 
And we find that really, if we've been, uh, we, should, we want to look a bit later on. The real gospel of Paul is spoken about in Romans 1 to 8, really. That's the gospel of Paul's gospel. Everywhere else, it's, it's hidden in, in his letters because he spoke to the people, didn't he, about their problems. But he'd already told them about his gospel. So they had a, a background knowledge of the gospel in them. And then it, they, well, when he spoke to them, he was speaking out of where he'd already taught them, you see. So there had been a teaching, and then he would send out his letters because he was trying to put something right that was wrong, usually. But in Romans, at the beginning of Romans, he's not doing that. So if you want to know what the gospel is, and that's, where the, that's why he begins with the gospel, go and read Romans. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. I've just been lent a book. Um, Gordon very often talks about Romans and talks about um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and his 14 volumes on Romans, which I thought I might get it until I saw they cost about £250 and decided that maybe I should... Ju- so I borrowed <laughs> Romans from my brother-in-law, Romans chapter 6, which is about the new man. And we will go a little bit of that in a minute. But there's two parts to Paul's gospel. Let's go and read this in 1 Corinthians 11. And I've only just sort of seen this lately. And I was... This is a very well-known passage because people talk about it at, at, at communion and it's nearly always read in communion. Are you right? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And he also says, and he says, saying the same thing that he says in, in Galatians, what I received from the Lord. So he received this from Jesus himself in, as a revelation. That which are also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he is betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now there's something interesting about that. Most people are very familiar about the blood. The blood gives us forgiveness of sin, doesn't it? Let's read that. We're going to read some few verses now, so if you... Romans 3.25 talks about this. This is really the, the, this part, this little section here is called the Acropolis of the Gospel. It's the main kernel of the Gospel. Whom God is talking about Jesus, verse 25, sent forth to be a propitiation. That means somebody who took the sin you, and the wrath that you should have took, he took it upon himself through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness to the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So we have forgiveness through the blood. We see the same thing in Ephesians 1. I'm just reading these verses. Maybe people don't know this who are here today, so we're going to read them even though we might know these things. Ephesians 1, it's in here somewhere. Verse 7. Or verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace... This is the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we're accepted in the beloved in whom which is Jesus we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the richness riches of his grace. 
Wow. So we have forgiveness of sin by his blood. We see the same thing in Jeremiah, which is, he says, uh, you know, we don't need to turn to this, Jeremiah 31, 34, he says, I will remember their sins. How often? No more. Glory. <laughs> I said, in, um, where else have we got? Psalm 103, 12. Our sins have been removed as far as Chelmsford is from Baddow. No. <laughs> as far as Brentwood is from Canada. No. As far as East is from the West. It's been removed. Completely. These are promises. Their sin had never been removed before. It had been covered. They had an atonement. The sin was covered by the, by the blood of the Lamb. In, recogni- in, in waiting for the one who is going to come and completely remove it, the Messiah. That's what they were waiting for. And as they looked towards that, they were then counted righteous in that way. Wow. But they didn't, ex- they didn't experience. In Micah 7, he said, he's cast our sins into the depths of the sea. They're gone. Now, there's a, there's a new program coming on television where they're going to go down with a, a craft in all, all the different areas of the sea and going to go right to the bottom and show us what's on the bottom. But they won't find... But will they find my sin there? I don't think so. <laughs> so he's saying, Your, it's gone. It's so far down that we can't get at it. That's where it's gone. That's incredible. That's what the blood of Jesus did. And all the sacrifices pointed to this one thing, that the blood had to be shed for getting rid of our sin. But there's another part. There's another part, isn't there? Which we don't very often talk or think about. His body was broken for us. Now what does that mean? Wow. <laughs> Somebody said, well, it's because he was, uh, he, by his stripes were healed. But actually, that isn't really saying what, it's not about his broken body. It really isn't, is it? No, it's not about his broken body. There's, a, there's a, a little hint of it, about what this might be talking about. It, it's, um, now, you might not think it's a hint, <laughs> until you see it. In, in, in uh, his prayer, in, in um, John 17... Remember where Jesus is at this point. He's going to the cross. This is a prayer that he's praying before he goes to the cross. He's just talking to his father and he's talking about us. Um, In verse 20, neither pray I these, this is John 17, sorry, I I pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through the word. They may all be one as thou art, Father, in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and loved me them as thou hast loved me. Now here he's talking about two types of oneness here. He's talking about the oneness between us and the Jews, at the beginning, that they may all be one, those who are these ones who he's talking to in the upper room, but us, us also. Because that's what it talks about in Ephesians, that the wall of partition has been broken down between us and them. We all become one in, in, a, in a one way. But there's another oneness, 
we have a oneness with Christ. And because we have a oneness with Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a oneness with the Father. We have a oneness with his Holy Spirit. We're made one with him. And this is what the body is about. When Jesus' body was put on that cross, so was you. When his body was broken and went down into death, you went down into death. Let's see that. He says, in, Paul talks about this, I'm just going to go to Galatians, because there's two or three verses in Galatians which say this. And this is an incredible thing. This is an incredible thing. Galatians 2.20. These are all very well-known verses. He's talking about people who try to keep the law again and thinking that they have to keep the law by getting circumcised and maybe a few other things as well. And he said, Look, I, through the law, I am dead to the law. I, I might live unto God. I am, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not I. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness came from the law and Christ is dead in vain. We don't try and keep the law to make ourselves righteous. We are made righteous because we're in Christ. That's what it is about. We're made right because we're in Christ. He also goes, let's go into our little verse in Galatians 3, 27. Right, um, he's talking about uh, faith coming after the law. The law was there as a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And it says, for ye, it says verse 26, I'm reading from now, for ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. You're made one with Christ. Now this is his baptism. It's a spiritual baptism. It talks about those who the, the spirit is in, is it in um, 1 Corinthians 12, isn't it? I haven't got it written down. But I might be able to find it. Hallelujah. This is cell, but, but for verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we all baptised into one body. It's the spirit of God. This baptism that he's talking about is a baptism of the spirit. It's not a baptism by the Holy Spirit. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're baptised into Christ by his Holy Ghost. The spirit of God baptises us into Jesus. That's what happened when you got saved. That's what happened. Galatians 6, 14. What does it say here? But God forbid that I should glory, here he goes again, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Wow. Then he goes on to say another fantastic thing for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision of anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Doesn't matter what you do, it's what a new creature is what you need to have. Wow. But he says, I've been crucified. Paul said he's been crucified. 
The world has been crucified to him. Wow. And him to the world. There's been a separation from him. How did that happen? We can get, let's have a little look in Ephesians 2. Seems, oh, yes, there now. It's just over the page. Now, when let's start at, I want to start at Ephesians 1 a bit. Now, let's have a look at Ephesians 1. Near the end, it's talking about, now, at the beginning, it talks about, um, he says he, in verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself, that, uh, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven, which are on earth, in whom all we have been taken inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who worketh all the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. And he goes on, he talks about verse 18, the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, you may know what the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints, what is exceeding greatness, Paul, Paul doesn't know what to say here, exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And then it says in verse 2, you who were quick dead, you who were dead, he has quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins. He, verse 6, he hath, in verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. Amen. Wow! Amen. Now I want you to notice a little word here, together. We have been <laughs> together with Christ. I've lost my face there. And have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is something different. Now, most people only know about the blood, and they know about their forgiveness of sin. But it's Jesus forgave my sin somewhere back there by doing something. Well, this is most people's perception. I come to him, I say, oh, I'm sorry, I've done this again, Lord, and I get forgiveness of sins. But here we're talking about something completely different. We've been talking about being united with him together. Now, when we saw he was in heavenly places, that's where we are. He's sitting at the right hand of God. Now, we were looking at, on, on Wednesday, and we, suddenly, we were looking at some of the illusions that Jesus had in, his, in the parables and his talk to the new and old life. And we were looking at the sheep and the goats, which talk about those who are in and those who are out. But where are the sheep? The sheep are sitting at his, are gathered together at his right hand at the day of judgment, and the goats to his left hand. Where is Jesus? Sitting at the right hand of God. We're already there. Because we're in him. We're in Christ who's seated at God's right hand. We're already there. We're already saved. The sheep are already in there. Wow. <laughs> because there's no time in heaven. We're already there. Though there will be a time when we will see it in reality. We're already there. Isn't that an incredible thing? <laughs> We've been getting really excited with our Bible study on the new man. <laughs> because what we're trying to find out is what has God done for us? And then we work from there. 
Instead of trying to see, what can I do for God? We don't start there. We start with what God has done. Because everything that started with God, he was the one who created everything. We didn't create anything. He does everything. It all comes from him first. He's the author and finisher of everything. Of our faith. That's why we have to look unto Jesus. Because we're hidden in him. It's an amazing thing. So here we get this little pit that we were, we were dead in trespasses and sins. He joined us to Christ. And we're together. We're raised up. It's together. Wow. That, that he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is an incredible thing. Now some people say, oh well that's talking about the future. Doesn't say. They say no, no, that's talking about when we get, you know, when we die and we get raised up into heavenly places and we sit with Christ. Well, it isn't because Paul puts a little, a little phrase in here, in verse five. Even when you were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye have been saved. It's already happened. By grace you have been saved. It's not future. It's now. He put that in there to make sure we didn't think it's future. It isn't future. I've been saved already. I'm already there. That's what he said. I'm already there. We'll see it later on. Hallelujah. <laughs> Colossians 2 has a very similar idea. says it in a different way. Hallelujah. Verse 8. Now here we have, really very careful... It says in verse 8, Colossians 2, 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, and the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Why? It's because he said we've been crucified to the world. It's nothing to do with us anymore, that sort of stuff. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete, or the same word there is fullness, as the same word there is complete, ye are full in him, who was the head of the principality and power. In whom? In whom? Not by whom, in whom? In whom? Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He came and cut it off. And it, when it gets cut off, it dies. Doesn't it? Doesn't stay alive if it's cut away. It just dies. We've been cut off from it all. We've been cut off from the power of sin. Incredible. Our old life has been cut off. We'll read that a bit in a minute. And then what does he say after that? I've lost it again because I get Oh yeah, here we are. By the circumstance. Buried with him in baptism. Now this is not, this is the, not the baptism of water. This is a spiritual baptism. And so we're buried by the Holy Spirit has baptised us into Christ. Wherein you are risen with him. Through the faith of the operation of you. Of your decision. No, the operation of God who have raised him from our dead and being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven all your trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances against you. The debt, the gone of sin is gone. It's nailed to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross. When they had a debt in Palestine the person had a, had a long-standing debt. When it was paid, the person who had the debt, the person who had the debt was owed to, went along and they nailed it to their door to show that the debt had been paid. And that was what happened to Christ. It was nailed. He was nailed to the cross. So that my debt has been paid. 
It's glorious. My debt has been paid. There's no debt to pay anymore. <laughs> you see, it's because we were buried with him. That's why we're buried with him. It's not an idea. These are not philosophical ideas. These are truths. They're subjective truths. They're not anything to do with what I feel. They're not anything to do with what I think. They're to do with what he has already done. They're set in heaven and they're done. Full stop. Done. Isn't it incredible what he's done? You see, not only has he got and blood and cleansed us, but he didn't leave us there. And that's where most Christians, I said most Christians start off in grace and they say, wonderful that he's saved me and I give him, oh, he's forgiven my sin. And then they end up going back into the law. They sit and read the Psalms and, the, and all the other passages in the Old Testament and they try and keep them. Without realising that they've been separated from all that. The old man is gone, we'll see that in a minute. He's gone. He's gone. He's been delivered. Let's look at that. Romans 6. It becomes really clear in Romans 6. So I had to really struggle. At the beginning of his book, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I was asked many times to write a, a comment or talk about Romans. And he said, I will never talk about Romans until I understand Romans 6. Because he said, every commentary contradicts itself and contradicts everybody else. And he said, until I understand what he actually is talking about, I won't say anything. Which is a quite a wise man. But in Romans 6, it's, it starts... Well, it, it starts from, a, from a, an idea in Romans 5, where it says, The law entered, in verse 20, that the offence might abound. Where sin abound, grace did much more abound. The bigger the sin, the more the grace came. The bigger the re- revelation of sin, more grace came. I would liken it to a, a little country village, which has no speed limit. And people are going 60 miles an hour down this little narrow village. Now that really is not a right thing to do, is it? You would call that to be wrong. Because it's dangerous. But there's no law. But as soon as they put in a 40 mile an hour speed limit, the law comes in and they become, they've broken the law. So law, the, the fault is then imputed to them. That's what happened with when the law came in. It says... We read further earlier on, in fact, the law was imputed to us. The, depth of the sin was made manifest by the law coming. And then if we get and brought the speed limit down to 30, and they're still doing 60, they're making a bigger mistake. And there's a bigger, much bigger transgression of the law. And if it goes down to 20 miles an hour, it's an even bigger transgression. It's what Jesus did when he was talking to the people he, said, he talked about them and showed them that the law was nothing to do with what they did on the outside. It was to do with what happened inside. You've only got to look at somebody wrong and be angry at them and you've already sinned. And if we're hang on, you see, it's got this, it, we're so far removed now from it, the speed limit's gone down to half a mile an hour in, in my picture because it's so big a difference in what we are to what he demands of us. So the law came to show, so what Paul's saying is, that every time the law was made more and shown more what God was like and our sin became bigger and bigger, grace covered it. That's what he's saying. Wherever 
when the law entered, the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You cannot out-sin the grace of God. That's an incredible fact. It doesn't mean to say we live in sin, I'm not saying that. But when, you know, this is what God is like. We, we don't really know what's, what's, you know, how, how holy really God is, and we won't know that until we get there. So then we'll see what the difference is in the way we used to be and the way he is. And then we'll understand how big his grace was. So that's what he's talking about. He says, so he says, well, then maybe we ought to sin lots more so that grace abounds. And he says, no, 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 no. Look, he says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? He's saying we're dead to sin. When do we die? Look, know you not, as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death. Therein we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in warmness of life. He's saying, because you're like this, you should be like this, you should walk like that. Because you're in newness of life. You've been planted together in his death. Wow. We died to everything. You died to sin. Wow. And then he goes on. For if we have been planted together in his likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Isn't that wonderful? We were in the likeness of his death. We'll be in the likeness of his resurrection. We've been planted together, it says. Together. Same as Colossians, buried with him in baptism. Same as in the Ephesians, we're planted together with him. This thing about union with Christ is Paul's kernel, the kernel of Paul's truth, of the kernel of Paul's gospel. This is the, the, the nugget in the middle of it all. You see it everywhere, that we were, were united with Christ in his death. That's why he, he put that first. He, he said, they, he talked about in, uh, that way we, in 11, about the body that Jesus' body was broken for us. He put that in first. We normally think about the blood first. But he says his body was broken for us so that we might enter in to the death that he entered in. So we don't have to live, be shackled with our old life anymore. That's why. It's not that he just cleansed us and left us to it. He united us with Christ in his death. We'll see this. Look, in Romans, we go on to more. Let's go on to verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed or means to be made ineffective. Henceforth, we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is free from sin. Dead people don't sin. That's what he's saying. Now, have you noticed in there, it's all we and you, and then he's just making a statement here. He that is dead, a person who's dead, doesn't sin. He's free from sin. Now, it doesn't mean to say we don't sin, but he's free from sin. There's a difference. We're free, completely free from sin. The old man is dead. Now, who is the old man? The old man is the person we were in Adam. Because if we go back to in 5, it says, in 5.12, where it starts off talking about this little bit, he said, wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So we all entered in. It was imputed to us. And then it was made sure, when the law came, 
that is made even more obvious to us. Now, it, it proves, he goes and says that, it proves that sin was in the world then because they all died, even before the law came. They all died, so it shows that they were all under sin. They all died, even though the law, even though the law hadn't come. They still died. You read, that's all what it says in Romans 5. But, he said, we died in him now. There's a difference. We died in Adam to start with. But now, the, our life we have now died in Christ. He's now called the second Adam by Paul. The first Adam was a living spirit, the living soul, and the second Adam was a quickening spirit. You see, the first Adam, we fell with him, we were joined with him. He's the federal head, he's the legal head of the whole of the, of the human race. When he fell, you fell in him. The seed in him was in him. You were in him. You were in your, in the same idea you were in your father or in your grandfather. And if your grandfather had died in the First World War, you wouldn't be here. Because you would have died in him. So when he died, Adam died, you died. Because you were in him. The seed was in him. Wow. <laughs> but Jesus is a different seed. He only came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful. He had seen from heaven. <laughs> he was perfect. He was pure. He was holy. He was different. He was a completely different sort of person to the we are. And we have never been united with him. So that our old man is gone. Now I used to think the old man was dead, but he didn't want to lay down and die. But that's not what the Bible says. I used to think that. I think I probably maybe have said that at one meeting. But I've had to change my mind because I realised if the old man is not dead and buried and gone, it's linked with what we are in the new man. So if there's a, an, if there's a, a problem in the old man of being dead, then there will be a problem with the new man being resurrected because they're linked together. Do you see? If he's not dead, the old man is not dead, in the, in, in buried in Christ, then we have a problem with translating the new man, because it's a sign, it's as this, and then as this. Well, it means that might not be true, but it is true. The old man, the person I was in Adam, that's why he talks about Adam here, the person I was in Adam is gone. He's been dead, but he doesn't just say he's dead, he said he's buried. Now what do you do? You don't bury people who might be alive. You wait till you're sure they're dead, until you've had somebody's write down a death certificate. They won't bury anybody until they've got a death certificate. Christ has given you a death certificate to your old life. The old person you were in Adam has gone. Now that means all the things you were, you're a crotchety old horrid person. But you're not that anymore. You were depressive, but you're not that anymore. This is what it means, isn't it? You lied from your teeth to get what you wanted because you were selfish. That was the easiest way. But they're not like that anymore. No, you see, we're not, we're, that, that's what we were like. That's the old man. He says, it's dead. It's gone. It's gone. It's the rot is gone. The toad is gone. He's gone. He's been dead and buried in Christ. That's why he says, reckon yourselves dead. He says that further on. 
Reckon in verse 11, likewise, reckon yourselves dead. For when he died, he died to sin once. Jesus died to sin once. He didn't have to die lots of times. You died to sin once. You died to sin in Christ. The power of sin is broken off you. He says that. He says, you, look, he says, the body of sin, that's the body that used to sin, the body that was full of sin, the sin which came from your flesh, has gone. And the body itself is not evil, because it says, don't yield your members as unrighteousness, but yield your members. This is your body, the members of your body. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness. So if you have to yield your members of your body, this thing here, different members, your eyes, your ears, everything about you, yield those members of your body to, to sin or to righteousness, and the body is not either one or the other, is it? It's not the body isn't the problem. And that's why the, the people like Buddhists and that get it all wrong. They want to push the body down. No, the, the, the desires in the body are all right. If we didn't have the, fulfill the desires, some of the desires in the body in their right context, then we wouldn't have any kids. Would we? We wouldn't, we wouldn't eat. Would we? Because it says those desires, but when they're taken out of, out of where they're supposed to be, they become a problem. And when, when this influence in us, which is called the flesh, the flesh is the problem. It's that thing inside us that has a desire that always wants its own way. And you'll notice that it's always putting off the flesh. It's all those deeds of the flesh you put off. The flesh will never be dead. The flesh, the carnal man, has never been put to death. The carnal man will die when you die and go to heaven or when he comes and takes you to heaven. That will always be with you. But you learn, keep it down. Because why? Before you couldn't do that. Because you were powerless. You were under the, the spell of sin. But now it says it's been disabled. That's what that word means. It's that body of sin. It might be disabled or rendered inoperative. So I don't have to live under it anymore. I don't have to live under what my, what my, what my, all the, the things that go on in my life which are now all right. I don't have to. Because I'm dead. I reckon myself dead in Christ. Hallelujah. I'm been delivered from our old man. I've been delivered in, those, in Romans 8 2 from a law of sin and death. It says, look, it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. When I sinned, I had a consequence of death. And I was destined for a very hot place. But I've been delivered from that. I'm not there anymore. It's not part of my remit. I'm not, it has nothing to do with me. Sin has nothing to do with me anymore. It's in my flesh. Paul says in Romans 7, it wasn't me who sinned. He said, he talks about it there. He says, look, he says, um, where is it? it says, he said, there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh, he says. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that's in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. It's in the flesh, there's no good thing. But that's not you. You have been created in righteousness and holiness. Holiness is not a, an action. Holiness is what God's put in you. It's part of being in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new, new person. He's new. Don't let anybody tell you. You're a sinner saved by grace. But you're not a sinner anymore, you're a saint. 
Now I find that very difficult. I thought I still do things wrong, but Paul says, no, it's not me who does it. It's not me. Not my new me. Because <laughs> I've been united in Christ in his death and I've been raised in his, right, in his life. Isn't that incredible? I've been united with him. <laughs> the old person I used to be, was like, I can remember, I'll tell you once, I can remember being so frustrated as a Christian, standing in the kitchen, banging my head on the kitchen units, because I was so frustrated that I was supposed to be like this, and no one had told me about this. <laughs> You've got to, you become a Christian, and you go, well, God will help you be this. But that's in the Old Testament. God does help us by living in us and changing us inside. We've already been inside. You can't get any more holy. The person inside you cannot get any more holy than he is. Tom, <laughs> this is what God has done. He separated me from my old life. So I get, I've been delivered from the law of sin. I've been delivered from the power of sin. In verse 16, verse 614, he says, look, he says, Sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin does not have dominion over us. We're set free completely from it. No dominion over us. We don't have to live under it anymore. When sin comes along and wants you to do something, you say, that's not part of me anymore. I'm this person. Because that's what Christ has made. It's not some, these are not fanciful theological ideas. These are actual realities of what God has done. They're not fanciful theological things for people to talk about. This is what happened in our everyday life. I have to change the way I think. And the more I read this, the more I get changed. The more I find out what he's done for me. Well, are we, he says in, the, in 6 2, he says, we are dead to sin. Look, how shall we that are dead to sin? That's what he's saying. You, know, you don't go and sin because your nature's been changed. You're a new person. In fact, the new person doesn't sin. Now, we did have a few people coughing when we said that, when we showed that in the, verse, in the Bible. That man, that which is born of God in 1 John says, doesn't sin. That which is inside of me does not sin. But, why? Because most people, all they do is they look at their sin all the time. Instead of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. I've been planted together in him. I died in him, and it says, we've been raised with him, Colossians 2. So we've already been, we died with him, we've been declared dead by God, and who dares disobey with God? Disagree God. You disagree with God, he says, you're, you're dead. Say, <laughs> so, well, I, think, I don't think I feel dead, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Look, he says, if you, in Colossians 3, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We're with Christ. We've been united with Christ, and we're dead to our old life, we're alive unto God. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's an amazing thing. <laughs> that is just so amazing. We've been, and it talks about in, in verse. 2.13, it talks about in the same passage. You being dead, says Colossians, in your sins, which we read earlier on, the uncircumcision of your flesh, have he quickened together with him. We've been quickened. The Holy Ghost has quickened us. 
We've been made alive. We've been made alive to God, it says in Rome. We've been made alive to him. I'm not a dead person anymore. I'm a live person. But you see, this is the incredible thing. When my old person comes along, what I used to be, I can tell you, I'm sorry, I'm finished with you. I am. That's nothing to do with me anymore. When I look at the photos of when I was young, I'm not that person anymore. It's not me anymore. It doesn't matter what I had. What I was like, I'm not that person anymore. I've been hidden in Christ. And that person's gone. You see? Do you think that his broken body is a fantastic thing? <laughs> but the broken body never stayed down there, did it? It was raised from the dead. We're alive, it says in Romans 6.13, it says, we are alive with God. Isn't that an amazing thing? Let's look in Romans 8 while we're in Romans. 8.10. Romans 8. Right. Here we go. We'll start at verse 8. Romans 8.8. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now those are not talking about people who walk in the flesh. They're talking to people who are not born again. People who are in the flesh can't please God. If you live in the flesh, you can't please God. But what he says, he says, but, he said, but, one of God's lovely buts, Paul's lovely buts, you are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. I don't have to get in the spirit because I'm in him. Don't have to try and get in him. I'm already in him. Doesn't matter what I feel like in the morning, I'm in him. That's what it says. Look, you're not in the flesh. If so, the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Does he? Then you're, not in, the, you're in the, not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. Because you're a spiritual being now. You've been born from heaven. You've been born from above. You've been born by his word. You've been born by his Holy Spirit. You've been born again. Now, if many men are not the Spirit of Christ... But if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? His righteousness. Life because of his righteousness. Wow! (laughs) But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Then we come not debtors to the flesh. No, we're not debtors to live to this flesh. This flesh has no debt, no hold on me. The debt has been paid. We're not debt. I'm not a debtor to live in that flesh because it's dead. I'm not. Don't have to live to that sin anymore. I've been freed from it. This is the glory of the, the being united and unioned with Him. The man, the man who came from heaven. I'm united with Him. I just. It's, it's beyond. It's beyond anything we can ever, ever imagine in it. That we're united with the man from heaven. We're united in him. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see this throughout the whole of scripture. When you see it, you'll see it, it'll, it'll just come alive to you. It'll be, it's everywhere. This same idea that we've been united with Christ in his death, which means all the problems we had, 
are gone. All the stuff we had in the past is gone. And we're now alive in Christ. He says, now if he's, now he's, he's talking about um, the resurrection of the dead, but it's, it, it can re- a lot relate to where we are talking about now. For since but one by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. So by, from Adam came death, but by Jesus, being linked with Jesus, through Jesus, is resurrection from the dead. Wow. Yeah. No. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Hallelujah. Every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits. And then he goes on talking, talking on about, about that. But you see, that is where we are. We've been made alive with him. It's always in him, through him, in him, in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. You see, and isn't it wonderful? This is just a, such a thing. It's so freeing when you understand what God has done. When your old life, went in, when he went in that grave, you went in that grave. When that tombstone was put on that tomb, you were in there. You were in there. God says you were in there in him. And that's where our faith has to be. Our faith has to be in what Jesus has done. Not just in our forgiveness of sins, however wonderful that is, but in the way we live. This is about how we live. That's why his body was broken. So that we may, have a, we may be able to break out what we were. And it's broken. The act has been set to the root of our life. It's gone. Wow. He's changed us. He's made us anew. We don't have to live under burden of sin anymore. Then we still do things wrong. But when we go things wrong, it doesn't bring death in the same way as it did before. It might make, break fellowship or something like that. I'm not even sure about that even. It's our perception. But what God says, I've been set free. I have been set free from myself. And that is the big problem. The big problem is not the person next door or their dogs. The person is not the people at school and their kids. The, per- the problem is you. But God dealt with you. The old stinker you were. He's dealt with you. He nailed you to the cross. And you died and there's one thing you can't do. You, he didn't choose hanging. He didn't choose shooting or being stabbed. He chose crucifixion. Because it's one thing you can't do yourself. You might be able to do your feet on one hand, but, oh, hang on, I can't do this one, can I? Only, you can only be crucified. Paul said in, in Galatians that he, was, he reckoned himself to be crucified with Christ. I've crucified the flesh, he said. But the only reason he crucified the flesh was because he hadn't been crucified already. You can't crucify yourself. People want to say, Try and get onto the cross. Well, I've already been through the cross. I died to my old life. It's gone. I don't live anything in that anymore. I live unto him. No. It's gone. He says, take up your cross and follow me. It doesn't say crucify yourself. Because we take up a cross and he nails us to it. Isn't that wonderful? He does it. It's by God. And then when he does that, he doesn't leave us there. He quickens us because we're with Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I have been cut off completely from my old life. And I have no newness to life. And I'll tell you this. 
<laughs> this is the truth. That has happened to me and everyone. It says, if you be in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Now, can you see? Now, you see what Paul's talking about. It's not just a little statement. He's talking about us being in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. All things have become new. Everything else is gone. And that doesn't... See, that means that when you're on the bus, it's true. When you're sitting here in the meeting, it's true. When you're at the cinema, it's true. When you're in Sainsbury's, it's true. When you're asleep, it's true. When you're awake, it's true. Doesn't matter what you're doing. It's still true. Whether you pray every day for nine hours a day, or you don't pray at all, it's still true. Doesn't say you, I'm not saying we abandon those, but it's true. What God has done is true. Whatever we do, God has done this to me. And I have to live in it. But that's it. He comes and helps us live in it. His spirit comes and changes us. This is a mystery. How he does it. He changes the actual way we live. Because we're new creations. We're new creations. He changes the way we live. It's a mystery in it, isn't it? This is why in the labour, in the, in the Old Testament, in the, in the tabernacle, there's no description of it. It's just, it's a labour made of bronze. That's it. I think it's made of looking glasses. It's it. It's got water in it. That's it. Isn't it? Everything else is described down to every tininess, the detail. Because this changing of life is a mystery that God does in us. It's a mystery how God comes and saves us. It's a mystery, isn't it? That's why it says, the wind, it's just like the wind. It comes, no, it's a mystery how it happens. But God's doing it. He's working in us. Wow. He's working in us and changing us day by day because of these truths that I am hid in Christ. How could I ever come before the throne of heaven if I wasn't hid in Christ? <laughs> if I wasn't made righteous by what he did. Isn't it incredible? I am united with Christ in his death. And whatever I feel like, that's still the truth. Now because I'm born from heaven, I won't go astray. Because the nature in me is the same nature as Christ. That's one of the things we've been looking at the new man. He doesn't sin. He doesn't want to go its own way. He always wants God. He always has a desire for God. It's always strengthened day by day. Tired, loads and loads of things the new man is. And you start reading it, you think, is that me? Is that really me? And he, a little voice inside says, oh yes it is. Not that we live in a, we're not living in a fanciful idea. This is the reality of what God has done for us. So it doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter how much you fall. These things are true. Because he's faithful. Who, what he did is faithful and you were in him when he did it. <laughs> he's, he never fails. When he said it was finished, he jolly well meant it was finished. We were raised up with him. It's not a, a position of pride that I'm raised. It's a hum, humble position that he has done everything and we just fall at his feet and say, Jesus, you're so fantastic. 
You're so wonderful that you did this to me. And I didn't deserve it. You chose me. I didn't deserve it. Nothing about this salvation we have comes from us. It all comes from him. And it's so fantastic. He takes all the striving out of life that I'm in him and he does everything. Isn't that wonderful? It's such a wonderful thing. And these things are true. Whatever we feel like, whatever we do, whether we can't get to church every week, doesn't make a difference because we are, we're in Christ. See, the religious man says, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and then God will accept you. But I'm already accepted in the beloved, it says. And that doesn't matter. Because we are new creation, as we said, we won't want to go the wrong way. Because he said, because you're dead. Your life, why would you want to live in sin when you're in Christ? There's nothing there for you anymore. It doesn't bring you happiness. It just brings you misery if you try and go back. There's nothing worse than a person who's born again trying to go back. They can't do it. They can't do it. It won't work. Because we've been made new by what Jesus did on the cross for us. His body broken for us. Thank you, Lord, that your body was broken for us. We thank you for your blood that cleansed us and caused us to be born again in your, by your spirit. But we thank you for your body that was broken for us so that our old lives are completely in, buried, dead and gone and have been raised in newness of life in you. We thank you that you've done this, Lord. We thank you for your glorious, glorious truths of what you've done for us. And we therefore look unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher.